Welcome to Blue State Conversations. This is our place to discuss the political theory from all sides, bridging the political divides that split our society. Why, hello. This is William and Matthew. Hello. How's everybody doing? And here is today's opening problem. A friend recently proclaimed her excitement on how she got someone kicked out of a home for not wearing a mask. She was adamant that she had every right, but also admitted that she had also attended a wedding several months before where she herself had not worn a mask in accordance with the rules around people who hadn't worn it themselves. Her excuse was she had only made one or two exceptions and taken precautions. This person was endangering others. Is she a bully or a principled person? Even with topics on this show like democratic imperialism and absolutism, it may feel like we're talking about nothing of importance. After all, it's just words. But if they are just words, then why isn't anybody understanding each other? And the question of the show is, how do we communicate across barriers? Yeah, I mean, people might be thinking as you're listening here, you know, why are we talking about this person and, and masks and things like that? And they might be thinking for some of these other things, we know, right? We get it. Absolutes are bad. Only cis deal in absolutes. We get it. Ha ha. <laughs> you know, people may be viewing it in that terms as you're listening. Like, I don't understand why this matters. Or like making broad generalizations across the scope. All people believe this and some people believe that. Right. Or, you know, we'll say, hey, Democrats are trying to push this. And people will be like, well, not all Democrats. And then they're saying, hey, you guys are saying semantics are bad, but it seems like you're using semantic arguments. So what is the importance of these words. And I, I think the first point to bring up is that there is a social fabric that sort of keeps everybody together, right? There's something that keeps you and your neighbors kind of linked together around what's kind of right and wrong. The way we do things is not how they do things in Europe. It's not how they do things. And what they do in Europe is not how they do things in Africa. And how they do things in Africa is not how they do things in China. I was laughing because I was thinking about how sometimes you'll see somebody, they'll eat part of the fat on the steak, right? And so you'll just watch other people recoil in horror, just like, oh, how can you do that? Yeah, my wife just like cuts it off proactively. She's like, nope, not going to eat that, too much fat. I'm like, that's yeah. where it's tasty. Right, it's funny, but you can see just in that small example of just that slight difference, and there's huge like scientific debates over, you know, should you be eating that fat? Maybe not that fat, but maybe a different kind of fat. There's Ooh, whether or fat. not to eat butter or margarine just goes back and forth for decades. Oh, yeah. And then you're supposed to have some alcohol and you're not supposed to have any alcohol. And... Oh, now it's just red wine, but just one <laughs> glass. Right. One very large glass, right? So, you know... <laughs> no. These these slight differences... No. He's just, <laughs> just going to straight up shame me. All right, well... I'm not saying I don't do that. I do fill my red wine glass a little too full, but that's just me. Large pores matter. All right, so there's, we have a thing where... We sometimes think that this doesn't matter. In fact, a lot of people I talk to, they don't vote. They don't get involved because it's a small thing and it doesn't matter. Or they think this is too big of a thing. I can't make a difference. And part of the thing is when you have people just withdrawing from that, you actually just start having tears that become apparent in this fabric as people withdraw, as people become more polarized, as you put more stress on it. And when you start to have those tears, that's where you can honestly see the holes in society. Yeah, that's where you have the separation. And because people, if they're pulling away, then they're not interested in discourse with other people. They're going to be shutting down discourse or just removing themselves for when the discourse does happen because it's not something that they're willing to put any effort in anymore. 
Yeah. You know, I think kind of humorously, Dave Chappelle, he had a whole bit on, you know, how old is 15 really? He was talking about R. Kelly and the girl at the concert. He was like, why didn't the girl just move out of the way? How old is somebody before they need to make decisions? You just know what you're going to do because you understand what to do. And so when I say the word freedom, what does that mean to you? I mean, to me, freedom is the right to make decisions about myself and for my family and that I have that right regardless of what somebody else thinks within reason, you know, as long as I don't go and beat somebody else up. Yeah. And then again, what's family mean? You know, some cultures, someone actually got mad at me once because I said, my kids are going to say aunt when it's their aunt. And then when it's just a family friend, they'll say they're a family friend because I think it's important to teach somebody what the roles of family are. And they said, no, 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 no. I'm an aunt because I'm a close friend of yours. That doesn't make sense to me, mostly because you're not biologically related or related by marriage. Yeah, but, you know, that person very offended when I said, well, look, you're not family. You're a close friend. I was like, there's a different role for you and a different role. And she's like, well, you know, she was like angry. It was the weirdest conversation I've ever been in because I wasn't married at the time. So it's kind of like there's a little bit uh, off the beaten path here. But you can see how just a word such as family, you'd think everybody would understand family. So I would say I really appreciate where they're coming from because my mother's best friend, we never referred to her as an aunt, but she was referred to as an aunt by some other people that had her as a close friend at the same age versus family. My immediate family related to my parents and my sisters, we had a family of five and then all the other family members were scattered across the country and internationally versus my wife's family where it's like they all didn't leave the state. So we have to clarify the word family every single time we say the word family, unless we're with a specific unit where they say, oh, it's this portion of the family, or they mean like the extended family party versus just a limited amount of family. And that's what happens when you have a huge up to a hundred person group of people within oh, yeah. an hour's drive. My next door neighbor, they were uh, Cape Verdean. And they had massive parties, weekend-long parties. It was oh unbelievable. My. You know what I mean? We'd just be like, wow, who are all these people? And be like, oh, they're just our relatives. And be like, who's that? Well, that's my third cousin. Your third cousin? <laughs> yeah, I don't understand that at all. But apparently it's a thing. I don't even know if I've even met my second cousin. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, like, I can't even list them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they live. I'd have to go to Ancestry.com and hope they pop up. Yeah. So... Family to those people means something slightly different. But to the social fabric point, everyone has a general understanding of what family is that we can all agree on. There's a baseline that, you know, there's your immediate family and then there's your relations. Extended family. Right. And how much of that you might call, hey, this is my close family and that might change slightly, but there's an understanding of what family is. Absolutely. And so that's kind of the point when you have a social fabric, and I say the word family to somebody who's saying, well, I don't agree with you on something else. And I say, well, I'm thinking about family. That person instantly knows, oh, family, that's my mom, my dad, my sister, okay, my cousins as well. And they can understand where I'm coming from. And so when I move that into things like freedom or liberty or freedom of the press or religion, your Fourth Amendment rights, your Second Amendment rights, your civil rights. And I say civil rights. We just had the big case where Gorsuch said that when they wrote the civil rights and they said sex... Well, they clearly meant to mean gender identity. Versus sex from gender assignment at birth. Yeah. So instead of meaning biological sex, man and woman, 
what they actually meant was gender identity and all of its forms. Including the personal opinion of who you are. Correct. Yeah. So your LGBTQIA, anything in there, whatever you identify as, that was in the wording of the law. But of course, if you went back to that time and you suggested that, nobody would say that. Everybody knew that sex meant this. Right. That's a considerably new idea that you can identify as something and thus be that. Back then, that wasn't a consideration. You just were that sex and sex and gender were interchangeable words because they didn't mean something different. Correct. Which I guess is originalist of me to say. (laughs) Right. But you can see the issue where if we just start taking words and changing meaning of them, well, then you can pass laws and then all of a sudden several years later that law means a completely different thing. And now you can get blindsided by going, well, I've been doing this past three apps. Will we change that? When? Well, (laughs) the word doesn't mean that anymore. Well, hold on a second. (laughs) So for me, if we're going to be changing words, then the social fabric is going to start tearing because people talk about how the right wing and the left wing have a completely separate lingo. Why would they need to have a separate lingo? Because the ideas that they're communicating are so antithetical to each other that using the same words doesn't work anymore. So when left-wingers are talking about things like they don't use the word freedom because that's a right-wing word. That's strange. It's an American word. But it's not even that. It's just an English word. (laughs) Right. But rather than say this is what we believe freedom means, they're rather now saying, no, 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 there's social responsibility. That's what we do. We do social responsibility. And that's real freedom. That's where you can start to see tears in the fabric because people won't talk about the same word. Whoa, what does that even mean? Social responsibility and how would you go from that to freedom? In terms of somebody may say, hey, I have a community that I live in. There's a country that I live in. There's a world that I live in. And I have responsibilities to those places that overrule anything else that I'm doing you'll hear come from the climate change crowd, right? We are a global citizen and we can't just care about us. We have to take care of the planet. I mean, that only works when China signs on board, but okay. (laughs) So they'll talk about, we have a responsibility, but then they'll turn around they'll say, oh, the right is the party of personal responsibility. No, obviously. (laughs) There's not an entire group of people in America going, yeah, we don't care about personal responsibility. But when you start seeing words get assigned to a group, like, oh, they do that, that's them, you can start to see that those words no longer can be communicated to the other side because it just means the other team. You know, personal responsibility, right-winger. It's kind of like in Christianity where, you know, when somebody starts talking about, oh, election, the Calvinist, that Calvinist right there, that's them. (laughs) Somebody will start saying sacraments, probably a Catholic, maybe an Anglican. You know, saint, definitely not charismatic. Alcohol is bad. Definitely a Baptist. (laughs) Definitely a Baptist, right. And one of the biggest issues in Christianity, right, is how do Christian denominations talk to each other? They really don't. Or Unitarianism, basically just left wing. (laughs) Right. And I think that just brings us to the big boogeyman is the political correctness. That's kind of where we're at in this point in the culture. But you'll hear people say Newspeak, you know, from 1984. And, And I think... There's a really good point to make here to people on the right wing and people like myself. Just because someone doesn't use the same terms as you does not mean they are out to wreck society. Language does evolve. I'm not going to have the exact same definition of words always. I mean, emoji, brand new word. 
completely brand new word. You know, internet slang has entered the culture because of the internet. So older words have fallen by the wayside. But what that means is it's an evolution. It's not a forced change. It doesn't necessarily mean those words are gone. They just have become less used words. They still have meaning in society, but people have to make an effort to use them and upkeep them. Right. Like that really funny scene on Jeopardy where the question was, it's a garden implement, meaning an immoral pleasure seeker. And someone buzzes in and he says, what is a hoe? <laughs> and That's the really is, funny. And the answer is a rake, but nobody's called a rake anymore. Like, that's not a thing they're called. They're called players because they play the field. And the reason that came into more is as you have closer and closer contact and you have a more connected world and as hookup culture rose, that became a more accurate word to describe what people were doing rather than somebody who was just looking for, you know, I had to go find pleasure. Now I'm playing the field. And so it changed slightly. So you had new terms that arose, more accurate terms. So when we on the right yell PC every time somebody corrects our terms, it's not always the elite silencing us. We do learn new things about the past. And we, <laughs> it is okay for somebody to say Native American and then you say Indian. Fine. We're talking about the same thing. And if the other guy goes, well, Native American is a little bit more accurate just geographically and what we're talking about. is Also, I live with Indian people from the continent of India, so it confuses me completely fine. That's not Hollywood coming for you. <laughs> well, it, it also matters what country you're in because we're speaking as Americans. But if you were to mm -hmm. go to Europe, if you were to see somebody who's black and say they're African-American, they might just laugh in your face and say, I didn't come from Africa. I'm black. Like that's a real thing in other countries that it doesn't necessarily, your experience with somebody's body color through the lens of an American doesn't translate to other countries. Oh yeah, no, that you're right. I've been to some other countries and they, why are we talking about African? I'm just black. <laughs> That's just what I am. You know, I had a friend who, he got very upset. He was shouting at me because we were talking about a constitutional law case and we were talking about the plaintiffs in the case. And I was kind of remembering the details and I was just like, That's right, it was the two Indian guys. And he swore at me, then he went straight racist because he said the reason is, is white people are bleep word dumb. Wow. And I'm going, so what's the problem? Well, the way you said it's kind of racist. Well, the way you said it's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Which no, racist is okay? Which way of racist speech, as it were? <laughs> so now, is he more technically correct? Yes, right? Native American is the more academic term. Absolutely. Right. However, if somebody said those dirty, stupid Native Americans, your reaction is not going to be, well, <laughs> just glad he said Native American. Otherwise, we would have been in some real trouble there. No, you're a yeah. moron if you think that. <laughs> if there had been some Indians around, they might have beat you up for using the wrong frame of speech. Right. <laughs> you know, even if you're just like, well, I think that people of color are lazy. You're going to get hit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Just because you've changed the word, it doesn't actually change the meaning behind it. Because what words do is they offer a connection to meaning. So the real danger of the new PC culture is that right words lead to right thoughts and that wrong words lead to wrong thoughts rather than just understanding, well, no, there's a meaning behind it. and The word allows the connection to it. So just changing the word in front of the meaning is not going to actually change the meaning. Can you give me an example? Well, for example, that we just used those dirty, stupid Native Americans, right? That uh, just use that one. Now, right, I'm obviously, okay. I'm obviously being racist in that sentence. 
Yeah, it's the same way as if you were to say those POC, meaning people of color, which I didn't always know that because it's not a term that you just, you're not born knowing that POC means people of color, but that's kind of like new age lingo as well. Right, and it's born from a thought process of that there's a white supremacist system. That's where it comes from. So again, even if somebody says, oh, people of color of lazy, did you really actually change that person's racism by changing the word? Not really. Now they're just woke racist. Right. I remember I was talking to somebody where I work and they actually said this foreigner just came up and started taking photos. Now we're actually activists and we want you to know that because we're in the black community, we're marginalized, but this foreigner is just taking photos. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it's just kind of making me laugh because it was just like, because they thought that they had all the words down correctly and they didn't call him by his race or anything like that, then they were no longer acting in a racist way. But it's like, you still were. You didn't actually change the meaning behind your word. You still had the insulting tone. You still had the demeaning division that came from what you were saying. Just because if I say those dirty, stupid Indians or those dirty, stupid Native Americans, still the same meaning. And again, that example at work, we've been calling them the very not racist activists. Oh my. (laughs) That's just kind of a joke. There's a lot of Haitians where I work and it's their favorite story. And that goes into the 1984 idea of doublethink. And it means the power of holding two contradictory beliefs in one's mind simultaneously and accepting both of them. These people Ooh. were 100% convinced that they were not racist while they were engaging in... If you had just flipped that foreigner to black or Latino and you had made it come from a white guy, those people would probably be throwing bricks in Boston. <laughs> right? Because they'd say, that's racism, that's white supremacy, we need to topple the system. But the second it was from their point of view, well, no, 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 no. Because we didn't say black, or we didn't say Indian, or we didn't say anything. We said foreigner. And foreigner, you know, they're just from foreign places. Okay. (laughs) But everyone can hear the meaning in the term. Yeah, some foreigner took photos. Everybody can hear that. That's not, (laughs) you know... And your pleas of, look, I'm an activist. I'm not racist. I I just want you to know I'm not racist. I'm very not at all racist. Not xenophobic at all. Right. I just want you to know I don't like foreigners. (laughs) You know, when you're just getting that attitude from somebody, you're going, all right. But these people were 100% convinced that they were. And again, these two ideas are contradictory. I'm sure you've probably come across some examples of people just being like, well, I believe this. And then you're like, as you're saying the thing you believe, you are engaging in it. <laughs> and that person has no clue. Well, it's like that type of person who says that they hate drama, but they're the most dramatic person in the room and they're the most interested in every other person's business. Classic, it's kind of yeah. like that. It's classic. It's perfect. It's a great example. Yeah. You know, people talking about every woman who watches The Bachelorette would never accept what's going on there if the, their guy did it or the bachelor, you know, but it's because it's fun and entertainment. It's, it's whatever. That's kind of a silly example, but double think in reality is that you accept both contradictory positions. That's the big thing. And if you can get somebody to do that, you can really result this sort of biblical tower of Babel for the modern age. You can have people who are not able to communicate with somebody else because the only possible way of communicating with them is to use a completely separate language from that person. And you have to communicate ideas that are not compatible with that language. It's really interesting given that 
we're all speaking English in the United States, but all of these new words and differences of opinion are being communicated in that language, but with different terms that mean different things. Well, I think we talked about this on another episode where you were talking about you had somebody who, when you said riots and they said riots, the two of you had completely different definitions of riots, right? Because you were saying, well, there's the BLM riots and there's the Capitol riots. And this person was like, well, those aren't the same thing. Right. They were specifically saying that the riots that came out of Black Lives Matter were justified and were inherently different than the riots that happened in the Capitol, which were not justified. And thus, they would not consider an argument where both riots were wrong, where both groupings of riots are wrong and shouldn't happen, and the people who exist to do them should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law, period. Right. And again, you can see that they're both riots, so shouldn't they both be prosecuted? Because regardless of what it stems from, it's really not about what my opinions are. What my opinions are does not justify unlawful behavior, ever. So it really doesn't matter to me what you believe. If you're engaging in unlawful behavior, it's unlawful. Right. That's why, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, on the right, they'll be like, oh, can you believe they're arresting those people from the Capitol? Not many. There's still a few. I'll just be like, of course I can believe it. That's what the law enforcement's job is. That's what they're supposed to do. Did they break the law? Yes. So they're going to enforce the law as law enforcement agents. (laughs) Regardless of their own personal opinions. But for a lot of people... I mean, we had the whole mostly peaceful debacle. Like 90-something percent. Was it 93%? 93% of the BLM protests were peaceful. Of protests linked to Black Lives Matter, which is the broadest definition. (laughs) Could you imagine if somebody did that by anything? They were just like, well, you know, of the camps that the Soviet Union put up, 70% of the camps linked to the Soviet Union were just rehabilitation camps. There wasn't any murdering of people there. I don't know why you guys are so up in arms. No problems here. (laughs) Right. If somebody ever said that, people would be like punching them. Right. We did talk about that. The punch the Nazi people. And then somebody asked them back, well, what if I think you're a Nazi? I was like, you can't think I'm a Nazi. Why? Well, because I'm not. Okay. Well, what makes you not a Nazi that also makes him a Nazi? Well, I believe in enforcing the government in a really good way for people, and he wants to have the government enforce it in a bad way for people. So and you're just listening to them going, you understand that any argument you make for why you should punch him can be turned right around and applied to you. Because, again, he's not a government official, he's a person. So if you can just say, I think he's a Nazi, he might be. Richard Spencer is. There are people who walk around who are Nazis. But he could always turn around and just shout it louder than you that you're a Nazi. Correct. And one of the things that I think both of us have learned, and one of the reasons we call this Blue State Conversation, is that government, presidency, judiciary, all these things have come to mean completely different things to different groups of people. So when we just use these words, what they're hearing doesn't make any sense to them. So when I have friends and I say judiciary, they think that the judiciary's job is to simply change laws to make society work right. Meanwhile, the judiciary branch's priorities are to uphold the law whenever possible and to only make changes as it pertains to the specific issue at hand. Right, but that would sound incoherent to them because then they would say that you're using a word to cover for a bad position because you're using judiciary. How many arguments have you seen between politicians left and right? It's quite literally just a definitional argument over something. Mm. 
fairly common, I would say. Yeah. I mean, what's the racism argument right now, right? People saying racism is prejudice based on skin color. And then what's Black Lives Matter stance? No, it's not. And so if anyone from the right wing says, hey, let's talk about racism, people, well, you can't talk about racism. Like, why not? <laughs> well, because racism can't be talked about by white people. And then the white person sitting there going, whoa, 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 hold on a second. But racism is a conversation we're all involved in. Correct. So why can't I talk about it? And you see how there's just this confusion where words stop meaning things. <laughs> and we have the earlier side of this conversation would have been no uterus, no conversation or mm -hmm. no opinion rather. Wasn't that what it was? No uterus, no opinion? Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. And yeah, there we go. Get it eventually. And the idea being that if you're not a, well, originally this would have been a biological female, then you're not allowed to have an opinion. Now it's just, if you don't identify as a female, then you can't say anything. And now we have transgender women who are playing sports in the women field and taking first and second place trophies, leaving biological women to take a third place or later because they're competing with biological men who identify as being a woman. So I actually had a sort of pre-discussion experience with what this was all about because back in high school for me, I played Quidditch for a while. And in Quidditch, it's a co-ed sport. I know everyone's going to think I'm a gigantic nerd, but we'll just blow up my credibility right then and there. So Quidditch, you have females and males playing at the same time. However, as the trans population began to be a discussion, they made the decision that whatever you identified as is what you could play as. And this was important because in Quidditch, there is a rule that you can only have four of one gender on the field at any one time. Out of how many people? Out of seven. Okay, so just over half can right, only be Just over one. half, yeah. Doesn't that mean that you can only have like four men and three women. Right. Yeah. And so at that time, since most of the game, the seventh person, the seeker was not playing because there was a whole bunch of rules with that. So there was six for a good amount of time. So really it would be four guys, two girls playing for most of the game. So my team played a game and we had a very athletic two season track star swimmer, right? Person had been playing sports for their entire life. Female. She was in shape. She was ready to go. Taller girl as well, five foot eight, you know, that's a taller female. And she got into the game and looked across. And all of a sudden we discovered that the other team had two non-male identifying players. And both of these people had deep voices, large muscles, and there was no hormone treatments going on over here. These <laughs> biological men, identification as woman, and therefore female players. Right. And I'm telling you. The woman on my team did not feel like she was playing against another woman when she got hit with a six foot four, 270 pound body. Ouch. The other guy had a beard. <laughs> what? You know, so. <laughs> you could at least try to look the part if that's what you're going to identify as. And as the game was going on, we went up. And all of a sudden, though, these two players came on the field, removed their two biological women who are playing as women, removed them, and all of a sudden we had four males and then two biological males playing against four biological males and two biological women. Guess what happened to the score? It suddenly went the other direction because we had two players who were not capable of physically stopping their team. They were just suddenly bigger and faster. 
Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure the way that this works out is that biological men have larger bones and then they're also longer bones. It's something like 20 to 30% larger. And so that's just not a situation where if you have a man in peak condition and a woman in peak condition, they're not going to be able to compete with each other in a way that would be even remotely close to fair. And this conversation that we just had, and I'm sure a lot of people, even those who are very pro-trans, if you say you're a man, they could understand, all right, I understand that you're playing a game and I can understand that this might not be fair to the women in that game. Even those people that could say that, this is not an allowed conversation right now. Yeah. Twitter just banned Focus on the Family. One of their Twitter accounts from Focus on the Family was just banned for saying man who identifies as a woman. Insane. Which is a correct biological definition. Yep. But because it's not the right word, <laughs> then it must be a wrong thought. Yeah. And that's what's crazy is that you're starting to see things on Twitter where you're being banned for having an incorrect thought which is bonkers because we need to have these conversations because what we need to recognize is that there is a room that is perfectly okay to recognize that people can have the freedom to be transgender without stomping on biological women's rights. And that's what's happening in the sports sphere. And right now, I think the only reason why it hasn't gone as far in society is because it's mostly sports where this is a big issue, where there are scholarships on the line, there's recognition on the line, there's college admittance on the line, and it just affects women who are in that specific field or men who identify as women who are transgender women. And they should be competing. Transgender women should be competing with the men unless they're biologically female, which is impossible at that point. And I'm not a sexist pig for thinking something like that. <laughs> or trying to grapple with it, going, well, what's going to happen? We have a new thing. What's going to happen? In order to think, you do have to risk offending somebody. Right. But my opinion here is that if we care about biological women's rights, and if we care about women's rights, period, that includes trans women, it makes sense to funnel them where it is most fair for them to be in competition. That does not mean that we don't care about trans women's rights, but it does mean that they can't be competing against women who are biological women who can't possibly compete with them. And so it's just really interesting because wouldn't we care about the majority ownership of women who are biological women who by a huge margin make up women? Like that's it, women is made up of mostly biological women. Yeah. And that's the question that you're not allowed to ask anymore. And when you do that, you split your societal fabric. And that's probably where we're at because we can't have that discussion on a platform like Twitter. You have to have that conversation in person. Right. And that's why one of my main problems with the church in America is not that there's a lack of faith amongst its members, but rather due to people no longer believing what the Bible says because the words don't fit with their new definitions that come from their political parties. Like right-wing churches, they won't use parts of the Bible that sound too socialistic. What would that even be? So there's a favorite socialist one will be the section where the new church, they all lived together and shared everything equally. Okay, so? Yeah, but of course, the people who are rah-rahing that passage forget the other passage <laughs> where they constantly talk about people in their property. So you'll see right-wingers will come back, well, it says their property, private property. <laughs> I 
again, when you start losing the meaning behind words and you start losing the context behind them and you start just fitting words to what you want them, how can you wrestle with the Bible? Because I actually did meet somebody who has a master's degree in theology. He said the Bible's not the written word of God. It's stories written by people who are throughout the ages. Well, that wouldn't be a biblical statement. Which runs into the obvious problem of then there's no such thing of Christianity. And he goes, well, there is a God, but, you know, God's just love. So the only thing in the Bible that I listen to is loving passages. Well, that's a really interesting way of denying the God that makes up the Bible where they have multiple parts because God is not just love. And love is not always a happy time. God is tough love too. And then there's just loving somebody through their mistakes, just being sure. married, having kids, right? Maybe your friend does something that's not positive in their life and you have to kind of support them through it. Just kind of like, yeah, you were an idiot, but you know, let's keep going. You know, <laughs> there's a reason the Greeks had multiple words for love. There were so many different kinds. Right. I know at my church, there was a long, long discussion because there was a group of people that said, well, part of God's plan for marriage was loving, committed, non-heterosexual marriages. And we would ask them, where do you see that in the Bible? And their response was, well, we don't see it not in the Bible, but we know God likes love. And, you know, a lot of us were going, well, what's love mean then? And they were just like, oh, well, you guys just, you know, you, he, well, <laughs> you can see how the word love has suddenly begun to mean different things to different people to the point that these people can't even talk to each other about a word such as love because we're grappling with the word itself, not the thing behind it, not the abstract concept or the, of your nouns, your verbs, not the things that it's representing. We're not struggling with that. We're struggling with the word itself. And if the word doesn't fit quite with what we want it to fit, we're chucking it out the window. Yeah, that's fairly concerning. I mean, I would say that there are words that they don't mean what they mean today, but that's why we have scholars. And the reason why we'd have scholars is because the Bible wasn't written in English. And so you can't recognize it as such. There's a verse in Romans that tells the followers to stay away from, I don't remember exactly paraphrasing here, but the word that's key is porneia. And that's a Greek word that encompasses a lot of different things. And one of those things is homosexual behavior. And that would lead you to believe that homosexual relationships of a sexual nature are against God's will, and it's in the New Testament. So yes, porneia on its own, like you'd have to look into what that word would mean, and you'd have to actually know that that's the Greek word that's been translated into English. But the way that we understand things today is not the way that it was originally written. And unless you're willing to look into what the original meaning was, then you're not recognizing Christianity from where it was written under God's provision. It's very interesting how people like to use the new day lens to understand something that was written in a different time. And then you have to view it additionally as it was a different time then to it is now, like for instance, Leviticus, that has been removed from being not biblical, so to speak, but it doesn't extend into New Testament law. And thus there is stuff in the Bible that isn't considered to be law that we are to follow as Christians or you know people today, 
but there are things in the New Testament that you have to look into what original meaning was to understand how it's supposed to be followed today. And I think that people get very confused very quickly because if you talk with a non-Christian or somebody who's not interested in religion, but they are interested in battling you in your perspective, they'll bring up something ridiculous from Leviticus, like how you're not supposed to bind different types of fabrics together. And you have to be like, okay, this gets into like deep canon of the Bible that you don't care about, but that doesn't apply today. Right. And then they'll say, well, why doesn't that apply? You know, if you're saying this applies, but that doesn't apply. And all of a sudden you're arguing words. You're not arguing thoughts. You're not arguing the process. At that point, you should probably just tell them the gospel (laughs) and (laughs) move on. They've basically like, excuse me, can you explain the last 2000 years of Christianity? And they're just like, all right, well, (laughs) here's the gospel. Let me pick out Matthew and read you a few key verses and maybe also John 316. All right. I got it. And 317, John 317 as well. It's important. So I think that just gives us where do we go from here? And what's the way forward just for our society? And to this question of the importance of words. And there's another quote from 1984, because their time was quotes. This guy knew exactly what he was talking about. And it was that, don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime, meaning thinking of things that are not allowed, illegal, morally wrong, whatever you have, literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. In in order for there to be mercy, you have to also have the knowledge of malice. Mercy means nothing without knowing that you can exact your revenge on somebody or that you can intend harm, right? We ate of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. It's not just the tree of good, right? Concepts such as love and joy and peace, have meaning because there's also words for sorrow, pain, and hurt, right? And that's what words are expressing. So in politics, abstract concepts become policy. That's politics. Words have got to be clear. An important thing here, this is not the book The Giver, right, where we're just saying precision of language and you only get these words to say. Clear means communicated well, So when we have a constitution, there are volumes of information published by the people who wrote that because they, instead of just creating this long, (laughs) you know, thousands of page document, they put the words in there and then they talked about, here's what we're talking about. Here's what we mean. They had discussions around it and they recorded those discussions and they put them together and they said, if anyone ever gets confused, then come back here and check. And if they're very confused, they can pull out a dictionary. We put the word in there that means exactly what we want it to mean by the dictionary, by the way we use it. So when you read the word militia, you know what a militia is. It's what it was at the time. Militias were the citizens. That's what a militia was at the time. Again, it doesn't mean that you have to say, well, militia, you know, anytime you're talking precision of language, militia means this. What means clear. If you want to say universal health care, it's single payer. You need to do what Bernie did when they said, hey, are you going to raise taxes? Yeah. But I think if I raise taxes and do this, then you're going to spend less. <laughs> Don't do the Elizabeth Warren. Well, costs will go down. Right. But are you going to raise taxes? Well, well the costs are going to go down. Right. My Be question honest. was. <laughs> Be honest. Right. It's being honest. It's communicating your intentions. It's telling people what's in it. Right. Because, again, there are concepts and objects that are expressed by these words. If the words start to be used to obfuscate those concepts and objects, we can no longer communicate with each other. So 
the central theme of all the topics we picked in this season, this first season that we've done, is that when you threaten somebody's group, they will need to grab power in order to save their group. So when we've been talking about all these different subjects, you'll notice a lot of times we'll talk about, hey, if you can't talk to them anymore, then they're going to start to fight. Hey, if you're going to split off somebody into that group, if you're putting a strict line where that person can never be friends with you, if you never give somebody a way out, when we talk about those things, what we're saying is you're putting people into groups. And then when you say, you know what? Your group is gone. You know what they're going to need to do? Grab power. Because, hey, think about it. If somebody said to you, you know, we don't want you to come around here anymore. We don't want your kind here anymore. What options do you have? You get to be kicked out and you have to suffer life. Or you need to seize power from the guy who's the decision maker and change the rules to benefit you. Because the ends will start to justify the means. Because, again, their other option is destruction. When you present a group with destruction or winning, <laughs> humanity has a lot of inventions for making sure the losers stay down. So when you narrow the range of thought and you split off those thoughts and you start making words mean nothing, eventually somebody will simply go, screw words, I'm going to just act. That's when you're going to get Antifa riots, capital riots. You're going to start getting battles in the streets between the Proud Boys and whoever is on the other side. That's when you're going to get articles in time talking about how they're fortifying the election instead of rigging it. You're going to get on the other side saying they're rigging, not fortifying. And then when nobody can talk to each other anymore, they're just going to have to get in a group and eliminate the other group. Elections will not mean anything when, like, why would an election stop you if your other option is getting destroyed? If Twitter's going to kick every single person, if Amazon's going to kick every single person right off the internet, then those people are going to want to take them off the internet. You don't get a free internet either way. So remember, those losers of wherever that conflict is will be made to stay down because nobody likes to win and then get overthrown. That's not human history. Thanks for listening. And if you have a comment, question, or rant, we'd love to hear it. Email us at bluestateconversations at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook and find our articles on Medium. If you like this podcast, share it with a friend. No matter what state you're in, blue, red, or purple, there is always room at the table to discuss your views in a way that lets us all grow. 